June 15th, 2019. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said. Before you do anything, if you can, head on over to iTunes, click that subscribe button, click a nice little five-star rating and review, put a little comment in, let me know what kind of topics do you like that we talk about here on That's What G Said. Do you you like the sports talk? Are you into the TV discussion, more of the horse racing? Uh, Maybe you're a Laker, a Dodger fan. Whatever you prefer, let me know, and that way I can continue to... uh, to cater specifically to all of you out there and uh, and what you want. Always have to say thanks to Joey Cleveland for that intro song. Great job, Joey. We're going to get right into this episode of That's What G Said because we have a quite a diverse array of topics to discuss and there's some uh, some Saturday racing for some of the Saturday night races at Churchill. So I want to try to get this thing out as quick as possible for some of you. Let's start this with the On This Day segment, June the 15th. Let's go through some uh, some events that happened on previous June the 15th. How about back in 1215, King John signs the peace treaty known as the Magna Carta. 1667, the first fully documented human blood transfusion was actually from sheep's blood to a human boy who ended up surviving. In 1836, Arkansas becomes the 25th state of the Union. 1878, the world's first moving pictures caught on camera. It was done to see if all four of a horse's hooves leave the ground. In 1994, the Lion King opened in theaters. 2001, the Lakers beat the 76ers in the NBA championship, NBA finals. And then just a few years later, those, those same Lakers were losing to the Pistons in 2004 in the NBA championship on this day. We're going to have a segment where we break down the Churchill Downs pick five, Saturday pick five. It's a good card over there. You can play that pick five, one of the low takeout wagers at Churchill. Break down uh, big little eyes with some big little thoughts. Give you a season two, episode one recap. Kind of what to look forward to in episode two. MLB check-in. Quick hit on some of the uh, the news stories in baseball. Some final thoughts on the uh, NBA Finals. What happens now with so much of this player movement. Kawhi, Clay, Durant. And, uh, whew. It's the kind of show I like on, on That's What G Said, right? Where we're able to hit four, five, six different topics. Let's jump right in. I've been talking a little more boxing lately, and I've kind of been rejuvenated as of late as a boxing fan. I like the way the heavyweight division is looked now because there are some names that we know. I know uh, Wilder. We know Anthony Joshua, who the big upset just a few weeks back. And now Tyson Fury. It's his It's his week to be kind of in the, the spotlight. He'll face Tom Schwartz. Tyson Fury is a very interesting character. So if you haven't had the opportunity to look into him a heavyweight boxer he's 27-0-1 with 19 knockouts he upset Vladimir Klitschko back in 2015 but he had come off a couple years battling depression and drugs and obesity and he fought to get back to towards the top of the division and it was a fight back in December where he had a draw with Deontay Wilder where many thought he was actually on the winning side and that was a fight that kind of piqued my interest and kind of got me back interested in um, in fighting after some years of really not even not even knowing some of the major fighters. So now we have a heavyweight division 
with Fury, Wilder, Anthony Joshua, and Ruiz, who just defeated Joshua. So now we have some major names that I'm curious and I'm interested in seeing where these guys are going to line up next. So looks like Fury and Wilder will have a spring 2020 rematch. And we will just hope that that fight was as good as the fight that they had in December. And we move over to GGG, Gennady Golovkin. We saw Gennady Golovkin now 39-1-1 after beating Steve Rolls last week. His lone loss and his lone draw both come to Canelo Alvarez. And now the the discussion is, are we going to see GGG Canelo 3? Oscar De La Hoya, who represents Canelo, he's trying to obviously push it farther and farther away. Because remember, these are both controversial fights. The both both times that uh, GGG and Canelo fought, first in the the draw and then in the loss, controversial division the decisions where people felt GGG actually won both or was the most likely winner in both. Yet he it was a draw in one and a loss in the other. GGG has a deal that he's worked out with it. The new uh, uh, the the new streaming site, so that way he was hoping this would enable him and give him a better opportunity to to hook up with Canelo. So that GGG Canelo fight is the one that we all want to see. Hopefully, we can get GGG Canelo three. Also, switching focus a little bit, but this is just kind of like a quick hitter in the uh, the intro news. The Raiders have been selected. For HBO's Hard Knocks, the behind-the-scenes show that documents the training camp for one of the NFL teams. So it'll document the Raiders' final training camp before they move to Las Vegas. Think about all the characters in this room. It could be (laughs) explosive. Antonio Brown, Vontez Burfecht, very dirty player. Antonio Brown, just vocal. Richie Incognito. He's been known for bullying and harassment and his issues with teammates and uh, authority figures. Derek Carr, the quarterback, what's his future like? He hasn't really had a, a great year, year and a half with John Gruden. And we know John Gruden, he's a uh, not one who's afraid to speak his mind. You have a player like Ollie who got... A little bit popular from Netflix, Last Chance You. Hard Knocks premieres August the 6th. Always a good watch for you NFL fans. MLB. A little check-in through the uh, through the MLB right now. Started in the NL East. The Yanks, 3-8 and eight in their last 11. They've hit a little bit of a wall. They're starting to struggle. It, it tends to happen when you have a lot of injuries and when you have a lot of players who are kind of overachieving and playing a little bit above their head. So what you can you can bet that the Yankees are going to be very happy to see Stanton and Judge coming back next week because Stanton just hit a home run on Friday in the minor in a minor league rehab game. You expect him to be back in the majors on Tuesday. Judge will likely take a few more games. He'll be back next weekend. They have 14 players still on the injured list. They've had 20 this year. And you really, even with their their, lot, their recent struggles, it's been impressive how they've been able to hold up so far with all those injuries. And now things will only get better 
for the Yankees and that they're actually they've actually dropped just behind the Rays right now. Boston, who's won three in a row. So now Red Sox fans, can they sustain this? We've seen this from the Red Sox throughout the season quite a bit. It's like one step forward, two steps backwards. One step forward, two steps backwards. They've won three in a row. But right now they're actually still behind Texas for the second wild card. So if the season were to end today, Boston would not make the playoffs. Your defending champion Red Sox would not be in the playoffs. And they're only a half a game ahead of Cleveland. They're only 17 and 17 at home. When you look at a lot of the numbers like offensively, you still feel like they're going I still feel like they're going to to have to get in and they're the the best chance to get a secure a wild card because you really look at the teams who they're going to be competing against for the wild card. If they can't, you know, make a run and and win the NL East, which is still likely, you know, they're they're seven games back in the loss column, and they do have to, to leap two good teams. So I, I would not bet on Boston winning the NL East. But if you had to bet on Boston getting into the playoffs over, you know, Cleveland, the White Sox, the Rangers, and the A's, it's going to be Boston battling with those teams to try to get that second wild card most likely because you figure the winner of the East and then whoever finishes second between Tampa and New York right now. Obviously, we're early on, but those two teams, you know, that's a seven-game lead in the loss column over the Red Sox. That's it's not easy to make up when you're a good team, when you're chasing another good team. It's not easy to, to give up that many games of a lead for, for a team like Tampa or the Yanks. It's tough to have any kind of a baseball discussion Without talking about the Twins, and every every week you check in on them, and you expect the Twins are gonna you know have a week where they lose four or five in a row or start to struggle, and that's just not the case. They're twenty four games over five hundred right now. The Orioles, the Royals, and Miami all have twenty four or less wins, and Minnesota is forty six and twenty two, twenty four games over five hundred. They have an eleven game lead in the division. Keep on trucking, Twinkies. White Sox, got to give a shout out to them. They're up to uh, 500 now. They're 34 and 34. And it's impressive because they've had really poor years from a couple of their starting pitchers that they were expecting to to get a lot of production and to expecting to improve and to need a lot from. Nova and Ronaldo Lopez have been terrible. But with the stuff they're getting from Giolotto, 10 and 1, 2.2 ERA, 0.95 whip. And then offensively, they have a lot of young talent. Tim Anderson, Yohan Moncada, Lurie Garcia, Eloy Jimenez. That's a team that I could see continuing to improve as the season goes on. Remember, they were in the mix for some of the big free agents. People talked about them as opportunities for Harper, for Machado, even for some of the pitchers, and they didn't really get any of the the big pieces, but they've had a good farm system the last couple years. And you got to remember, when you're bad and you keep accumulating picks and you have young players that are getting experience, generally those players are going to improve and they're going to become, you know, at the very least major league like re- replacement level type players. Texas Rangers keep playing some good ball too. Right now they're they're in the playoffs. They are the second wild card team. They just split a four-game series with Boston, which was important for them. And they proved that, you know, they're going, they're able to be competitive with 
a team that they're going to have to battle it out if they want to make the playoffs. Houston, just playing Houston ball. You know, they're up nine and a half games in the in the division over Texas, but Texas is playing very well. Move to the National League. The Braves, they've won eight in a row. Now they have a two and a half game lead in the division. They are 20 and eight since Austin Riley started playing for them. He's hitting 295 with 10 home runs and 30 RBIs. And now they have a, a batting lineup with Riley in it. Albies, Acuna, Freeman, Swanson, Donaldson, and Marcakis. That is a strong, deep six or seven hitters in their lineup. Two and a half game lead over Philly, and now a seven and a half game lead over the Mets, who are struggling. They've lost a couple in a row, and now they're three games under 500. The the pitching staff will be the key for the Braves. They just went out and signed Dallas Keuchel. That could be huge for them. They have Mike Soraka at the top of the rotation. He's seven and one with a 1.9 ERA and a 0.97 WHIP. Julio Tehran, who's always been a good top of the rotation guy for the Braves, he'll have a year, some years where his numbers are are not very good, even in particular the last few. But he's excellent this year. His ERA is now under three. Max Freed, he's been hit around a little bit in his last few, but he's a very solid starter. And there are rumors out there that they could even make another move for a guy like Madison Bumgarner. The Braves are playing very good baseball right now. And the more and more I look through the National League as a fan of the Dodgers, always looking around at the opponents saying, wonder who the Dodgers may have to, to face. Right now, if the playoffs were to start today, I would probably be the most afraid of the Braves. Deep lineup, and with Keuchel now, and if they're able to add one more, one more arm at the top of that rotation, could be very tough in a short series. The Central Division, competitive as expected, and it will likely be all throughout the year. Right, You have the Brewers, Cubs, and the Cardinals. They're only separated by three games now in the loss column. Brewers are a game up on the, the Cubs, and the, it's just back and forth because the Dodgers have beat the Cubs the last couple games. But now remember, the Cubs will have some relief coming, and I do mean relief in Craig Kimbrell. So they should get, uh, their, their bullpen should be strengthened a little bit, and that was one of the weak spots for the Cubs. They're going to be right in the mix there. I'm not as high on the Cubs as you know some of the other teams, but I, they, I, I think they'll be battling it out for a wild card. This is going to be a very huge stretch coming up for the Cardinals. The Cardinals was a team that I have been very high on. They had a horrible May, and then it looked like you know you're going to turn the corner. They sweep the Cubs, and then the Cubs come right back and sweep the Cardinals. But after winning a couple in a row, now they're two games over 500, they're 35 and 33. And listen to the next 20 games they have coming up. Two with the struggling Mets. Four with the Marlins. Three with the Angels. Two with Oakland. Three with San Diego. Three with Seattle. And three with the Giants. 20 games. Not one of the teams they play in the 20 games is currently in the playoffs. So over this 20-game stretch, this will be a big opportunity for the Cardinals to make up some ground. And they have to they have to do it right now if they want to... Stay competitive. This is a moment where they can, you know, pick up a couple games on both the Cubs and the Brewers. Next month, huge for the Cardinals. 
if the season were to end right now, it would be the Cubs versus the Phillies in the wild card. That'd be a really good wild card matchup, right? We'd see the Dodgers play the Brewers, and the Braves would play the winner of that wild card. So we'd have a Dodger-Brewer rematch of the NLCS last year. So now things starting to take shape a little bit. We will ask the same questions about the Dodgers, I think, over and over. Can they figure out a way to improve that bullpen? Other than that, they're a very well-built team. They're a team who's been in the World Series back-to-back years, and they weren't far away from winning a World Series, you know, when you make it to a, a Game 7. They have a 10-game lead in the division, and they are now six games better than the rest of the National League. Shift the focus a little bit over to uh, to some pro wrestling. Really tough to be too excited about WWE as of late, and I'm... This is coming from someone who is always, always pumped up to watch a WWE show, Monday Night Raw, Tuesday Night SmackDown, the pay-per-views, but where's the storyline, the creativity, something a little different? It feels like everything is just a retread right now. Uh, we saw a super showdown last week, the Saudi Arabia show. There's a sloppy 50-man battle royal that was won by Mansoor, who's a local wrestler who now wrestles in, in NXT. That's fine. You know, you have a big battle royal like that on a show like this, you can have a, a local win. I don't I'm okay with the result. Just kind of sloppy. Never really a big fan of the fifth the the battle royal when everyone's in at the same time. I prefer the Royal Rumble type one at a time. Seth Rollins beat Baron Corbin. They're gonna have a rematch just next weekend at WWE Stomping Grounds. That's another thing that made this show really difficult to get too pumped up for is that before the show's even over, they're already announcing the matches for the next show, which was two weeks from Super Showdown, and there's a lot of rematches and retreads. Finn Balor beat Andrade. Finn is ice cold. I mean, how how could you have a character like Finn Balor be ice cold? It doesn't make sense. Finn is the demon even. Shane McMahon beat Roman Reigns. It's funny. Shane is probably the hottest character and like the most over character just because he's so disliked at the moment. His his heel bad guy shtick is pretty good. At least they're kind of going all in with him. He beats Roman Reigns based, you know, on the help by Drew McIntyre and the interference. Roman Reigns does not lose many matches. Even if they're, you know, interference, kind of gimmicky things like that, we very rarely see him lose. Now we're gonna see Roman versus Drew at Stomping Grounds. So kind of a a spinoff on the same feud of the Roman versus Shane O'Mac. Randy Orton beat Triple H. Eh, not much to say about that one. Strowman beat Lashley. Same. Kofi beat Dolph. And now we're going to get another rematch at Stomping Grounds. The, the, the thing that would make Kofi a little bit interesting, and I, I don't know if we're going to get it, I don't even know if I want it, is a big E turn. New Day turning against each other. I don't... I think in the long run, that might be bad as far as a short-term story. Might inject a little something in there. And then the really unfortunate, sad match to watch at the end was uh, Undertaker and Goldberg. Two all-time greats, two legends, popular, well-known. And Goldberg was concussed right at the beginning, and the match was just Ugly. It was sloppy. It was it was bad, and it was too long. 
And unfortunately, we I just I don't think we need to see much more of the Undertaker or Goldberg. They've they've done I think all they could do. Bring them out for appearances. I don't if you want to put them in the corner of someone, sometimes that's fine, but I just I just really don't need to see them in the ring anymore. Things are happening over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's what what's great about wrestling right now is that WWE is a little bit down, but then you have New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Elite Wrestling. There's a lot of really good wrestling out there. Now, John Moxley was Dean Ambrose before as the New Japan Pro Wrestling U.S. Champion. He wants to be in the G1. Jericho just lost to uh, Okada in the championship match. He's teasing to be in the G1. Kenta. Hideo Itami, back in New Japan now, he's in the G1, and he's talking about how he wa- he wants to Moxley, so a Moxley-Kenta G1 match, or maybe a, a match for the U.S. title, gets me uh, gets my blood boiling a little bit. I like it. What's impressive about New Japan, we saw this from a, with them from a few years ago. They lost AJ Styles, Nakamura, Gallows, and Anderson. What do they do? They just replenish. They go right. They bring you know Kenny Omega gets a little more shine. The Bucks get more shine. Naido gets pushed up a little bit. And then what happens? Omega, the Bucks leave. Uh, you have Cody leaves too. What do they do? They're able to elevate. You know, a Jay White. In comes Moxley. Back comes Hideo Itami. Uh, you elevate Abushi and even Naido, who's been in that mix you know for a while. So. They just do a great job over there at New Japan. Always uh, interested in watching those big events. And then we have the AEW. All Elite Wrestling. Kenny Omega, the Bucks, Cody. They are going to stream their next show free on BleacherReportLive.com. Saturday, June the 29th. That is All Elite Wrestling Fighter Fest. And so the card looks like this right now. Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus the Lucha Bros and a mystery partner, so that'll be a six-man tag. Cody versus Darby Allen. Michael Nakazawa versus Alex Jabaley. Moxley versus Joey Janela. There should be some crazy spots in that match, if, if nothing else. Maybe a burn spot with a cigarette or something like that. A fun little four-way with Hangman Page, Jungle Boy, Jimmy Havoc, and MJF. And then um, I think uh, Sakuzi... Riho and Nyla Rose looks like it's some sort of a women's. I don't think they've even announced if it's a three-way or if it's going to be, uh, you know, a Taz and any any other additions to that match. But those are some of the uh, announced matches for that AEW Fighter Fest on Saturday, June the 29th. Next week we'll do a little preview for WWE's Stomping Grounds pay-per-view, and when the when this one comes up in a few weeks, we'll talk some. Fighter Fest. Congratulations to the Toronto Raptors in the NBA winning their first ever NBA championship. They win three games to two, or excuse me, four games to two, winning uh, game number six on the road at Golden State. Lowry, 21 points in the first half. Siakam, 26 points and 10 rebounds. Ibaka, 15 points. And you get 22 from from Van Fleet. And what's amazing is 
when that happens for the Raptors, it doesn't even matter what you're getting from Kawhi, right? You get the 22 points from Kawhi, you get him to make the big shots and kind of settle things down when you need. But when you're getting those kind of contributions, the game was over, even though it was close and Golden State was winning late. I felt like it's it's like when Lowry's playing that well, when Siakam's playing that well, they're so tough to beat. And then you have Clay getting hurt. Clay had 30 points in 32 minutes. He gets hurt the end of the third quarter, and he misses the entire fourth quarter. And, you know, Golden State barely loses. I think it's pretty safe to say that the way Clay was playing, the way he was shooting the ball, if Clay Thompson is in the game, they win. Curry struggled. 21 points and 7 assists. He was only 3 for 11 from 3 and only 6 for 17 overall. They did get 22 from Iguodala, and they were up by 5 when Clay got hurt. They just didn't have enough in the fourth quarter without Clay, without Durant, with uh, you know, Looney banged up, just not getting a whole lot. They started the fourth quarter with no Clay and with no Curry on the court, which very rarely is that a recipe for success. It's amazing that you can how quickly a narrative will shift, right? Like I rooted against Golden State most of the year because they're such a big bad team when they have Durant and when they have, you know, everyone else. I'm not a huge Durant fan, but so Durant joins the already good team and they're an easy team to root against. And then Durant goes down and they had a you know, a couple other injuries and now it's just it's Curry and Clay and out there carrying the load and they go back to being a very easy team to root for. What happens now? You go from being a Golden State team that just a week ago, you know, if Kevin Durant comes back, you're going to be the favorite to win each and every year. And now Durant, ruptured Achilles, he's done for an entire year. He's not going to play for 14 months or so. So we don't even know where Durant's going to sign, what's going to happen, but wherever he does sign, he will not be playing next year. Clay Thompson, I'm expecting that he comes back and returns to the Warriors, but Clay won't be able to play at least the very the best case scenario for Clay would be six months. They say six to nine months. The type of the level of play, you know, and the level of compet- competitive basketball that we're talking about for Clay. You think he's able going to be able to sit out that kind of time and then just come right back in and jump into a, the playoffs or the end of the year and then into the playoffs? I would not be shocked if he doesn't play all of next year either. So now what kind of a Warriors team are you looking at? You're looking at a team with no Durant. You're looking at a team with no Clay. You're looking at a team, DeMarcus Cousins maybe goes somewhere else and gets a big contract. Do you want to sign DeMarcus Cousins long-term? So what does the rest of that Golden State team look like? And what does the rest of the West look like now? Because Golden State was the big bad team in the West that everybody was scared of. They're not the same team anymore. Okay, the team that they played in the conference finals, Portland, they're a good team, but they're not a team that terrifies you. Sure, they'll get Nurkic back, and they're solid, but they're not They're not going to be the favorite to win the West. Denver, young team, everybody coming back. I mean, they're going to have an opportunity now to be the team in the West. But when you look at the odds, when you look at the odds... In the Las Vegas Superbook, right now, the odds to win the nineteen, uh, the 2019-2020 NBA championship, you know who's favored? The Los Angeles Lakers. Honestly. 
think about it. The West is wide open. You have a hurt LeBron coming back. They're expecting Anthony Davis trade to go down. If you're starting a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, I'll take that over anybody else in the West, right? Houston, Houston's talked about they may blow their team up. They may try to trade Chris Paul or Capella or make some moves to try to have a different nucleus next year. But maybe they don't now. Maybe Houston looks around and they go, oh, okay. Well, Golden State's not going to be Golden State. This may be our opportunity. Because they were the second best team in the West last year. They finished fourth, but they were the second best team. I think if they're on the other side of the bracket, I think it's Houston versus Golden State in the conference final instead of in the conference semifinal. I think Houston would have defeated either Denver or Portland, whoever they had played on that side. So you look up and down, okay. The West is wide open. And when you look at the ESPN early power rankings, they did the early NBA power rankings. The top three teams all come out of the East. The Bucks, the Raptors, and the 76ers. So when the best teams are all located in the East, now the West... The, the best in the West isn't quite the best. We don't know what we're going to get from them, from the Warriors. And these next few weeks with all this player movement now, what happens with Kawhi? Does he stay now? And if Kawhi leaves, does Toronto, now that they've won a championship, do they just say, you know what, we've won. We're going to trade Kyle Lowry. We're going to, tra- we're going to get rid of Gasol. And we're going to build around Siakam and uh, Anobi. I'm... So many different things can happen. One thing that I noticed over the last few weeks just watching uh, these basketball playoffs, like what is what makes you clutch, right? If you struggle in the first round, but then you're good in the second round, but then you struggle in the third round, then you're good in the fourth round. Are you clutch? Are you clutch if you're good at the end? Like perfect example. Let's talk about Fred Van Fleet. He is one of the major reasons why the Toronto Raptors won their last two series. He might have been one of the reasons that they would have lost to Philadelphia. He was awful in that series, just terrible. So is he a clutch player? Was he lucky that he had a bad series and they were still able to move on? Because some players can't don't have that luxury, right? If you're a star player... If you're the number one or two option on a team and you have a bad series, it's probably probably that you're going to lose that series, right? That's not the case with some of these role players. They don't have as much pressure on them. So someone like Van Fleet can fly under the radar, you know, in the Orlando series, in the Philly series, and then against Milwaukee and against against Golden State, he's one of the best players on the floor. Look at his game logs and look at his stats in those first two rounds. He's like a completely different player. And a lot of it was just the opportunity, the chances. He kept getting them over and over again, and then he finally was able to step up. And if Van Fleet doesn't play the way he played for the last, you know, three weeks, Toronto doesn't win the NBA, the NBA title. No matter what Kawhi and Lowry and Siakam do, that's what ends up happening. Is you need to be good, and you need to be lucky. Things need to bounce your way. Because you can be really good and maybe the best team sometimes and you still don't win. 
You need to have some injury luck, right? Look at things the way things broke for Toronto this year. It don't take anything away from them, but they didn't have to to, to deal with a 100% Golden State team. Saint, look at Golden State. Some of the years they they've won, right? They didn't have to play uh, some some seasons against Kyrie and Kevin Love in the finals. You know, Chris Paul got hurt. They didn't have to play against Chris Paul in the conference finals last year against Houston. So you you know you can be good, but you need to be lucky too. It's hard to win because remember everybody's trying to do the same thing. Everybody's trying to win too. So you have to be good and you have to be lucky. Lakers, the current favorite to win the NBA title next year. I'll tell you, I think it's a lot more plausible right now than I thought it was two or three weeks ago. And it's unfortunate because the injuries are the reason why. Never, always want as a fan, I always want to beat the best. I want to have my team be good and I want to have them beat the best because then I don't want to have any excuses. Um, So it's always, it's a bummer to see what happened to Durant and Clay over the last few few games because they're some of the best players in the league and clay i heard bill simmons talking about this too clay in particular like his approval rating everybody loves clay like nobody nobody says a bad thing about clay whether you're a fan of the warriors or not he's just the type of player that you like he's tough he he does whatever needs to be done doesn't really complain a whole lot doesn't demand the ball a lot he can score and get a bunch of touches he'll play great defense two-way player I'd love Clay to be a Laker someday, but don't see it happening. Let's jump on over to Churchill Downs. The Stephen Foster card. It is night racing on Churchill. So by the time this comes out, we'll be probably just a few hours after you hear it. Get to race number five on Churchill Downs Saturday evening, and it begins with the Matt Win. Real quick, before we get into the handicapping, just a, a, a horse racing news. Maximum Security, the horse who crossed the wire first in the Kentucky Derby, he's going to run on Sunday at Monmouth Park. So just put a little note for yourself if you want to watch Maximum Security run. Should be the heavy, heavy favorite. There were some kind of weird, weird rumblings about that he wasn't doing well and that they had to get some blood work on him, but the blood work all came back fine. Everything seems to be good to go. So Maximum Security will be a heavy favorite when he makes his first start since the Kentucky Derby. And this will hopefully be his prep race for the Haskell. Churchill, race number five. It is the Matt win, grade three. And this is a pretty fun, contentious little group. From the inside, you have Limonite, who... He had legitimate trouble on February the 16th and on March the 23rd. So those are the two races out of his seven where he has not hit the board, where he didn't finish in the top three. And you can put a line right through both of those. Legitimate excuse. Only real problem with Lyman, he's just a stone-cold closer. He's proven at Churchill. He should save all the ground from the inside and come running. Most recently, at Churchill on May the 4th, he saved ground at the back of the pack. He was rail riding in the slop. He waited for a split. He angled out four wide in between. He got shut off. Then he had to angle out and around. It was it was a determined drive, and he just got up. I, I like the effort. No real knocks on Limonite. I, I'm a little concerned that there might not be enough speed in just this small field to set up the rally that he needs. Because there are, 
Nick's go has some speed. Uh, Proverb, we could see him show speed or or come from off the pace. And I think Nolo Contesto will be pretty close. But there aren't you know a, a couple horses who we know for sure are going to be demanding the front end and and have to be on the front end. I picked Limonite fourth in here, but as mentioned, this is a a, a fun race to handicap because I do think there are four, like three or four legitimate contenders in this field of seven. I'm cold on Signal Man. He's run well at Churchill, and I I liked him at the beginning of the year, turning from two to three. I thought he would have been an interesting horse to play uh, in the Derby. He just didn't really ever seem like he improved from age two to age three. We saw him last in the Preakness. He was in the 8th, 9th, 10th spot. He was wide. He moved inside to the rail. He made his way up to within a couple lengths before tiring. Just need to see a little bit more from him. His biggest victory ever was in the Kentucky Jockey Club over this track at Churchill Downs winning a grade 2. I feel like he has a similar style with Limonite, but that Limonite, I've liked what I've seen from Limonite a little bit more this year than what I've seen from Signalman. Let's go to Nolo Contesto, who I'm going to pick uh, on top in here. Making just his fifth career start. You go back to January, he beat a couple next out winners. One of them, Omaha Beach. Remember Omaha Beach? Yeah. Omaha Beach won three straight races. Maiden, then the grade two Rebel, and the grade one Arkansas Derby. Also beat a horse who was the eighth place finisher who won a Maiden 80 out of that. So Nolo Contesto beat two next out winners. One of them was going to be your Kentucky Derby favorite. Come back, comes back on March the first, loses to Roadster. Was on the inside. It was in a small field. Roadster, Roadster was on the outside, and Nolo Contesto was right behind the leader. Roadster moved. Nolo Contesto had to wait. Was pinned in, and started to rally late. And when he finally got a shot. He won the battle for second up the inside. I thought it was a good effort from Nolo Contesto. Then in the Santa Anita Derby, he's behind Roadster, Game Winner, and Instagram. I mean, what's wrong with being behind those three? Those are a couple really nice horses. I think Nolo Contesto is going to be right really close to the lead in a race where, you know, maybe he's behind Nick's go. Proverb has shown speed, but I, I think Proverb will probably try to sit off the pace a little bit more today. So I think it's either Nick's go on the lead and and Nolo Contesto right behind, or maybe Joel wants to get aggressive and try to put him in front. I would prefer him just sitting right right off of Nick's go. And we look to Nick's go, who, you know, he's very quick. He broke with the leaders last out. He, he but he, he tried to settle off, but that's just not as he he wants to go more. He had the lead briefly. He opened up, you know, length at the top of the lane right before the top of the stretch at Keeneland. But he was able to just hold fourth, and he very easily could have been sixth. He was no match for the top few. The five is Proverb. He's a little bit interesting in here. I like his last two starts in that we've seen him come out of decent races, and we've seen him show different dimensions. On April the 12th, comes from off the pace, and he's behind Warrior's Charge, who's fourth in the Preakness, only beaten a couple lengths. Most recently, he's behind Laughing Fox and Night Ops. Night Ops won an optional 75 at Churchill. And then Laughing Fox was fifth in the Preakness. He was only beaten three and three quarters lengths. He was asked for speed. Proverb opened up a length and a half into the first turn. 
He had a half-length lead at the top of the lane He tried hard on the inside But he, he held third And he was behind two horses Who were probably just a little bit better you know, And then back on that April 12th race When he was third behind Warriors Charge The sixth place finisher came out of that race To win a stakes next out And Proverb was dead last early It was a fine third chasing a big winner So you show some speed last out You show the ability to come from off the pace You have some versatility Can show multiple dimensions I have Proverb pick second in here I think he, he's he got a big shot The obvious horse to beat Is Mr. Money I think you use him in your exotics I have him picked third His big win in the Pat Day Mile Was very impressive And he had some sneaky Decent races in February and March At, fair, at the fairgrounds where he did have some trouble I liked his Breeders' Cup Juvenile Over this track L- Go back to the Louisiana Derby now Mr. Money was 5th The 4th place finisher Country House Finished 3rd in the Arkansas Derby And then won the Kentucky Derby The 5th place finisher in that race was Mr. Money He won the Pat Day Mile next out The 8th place finisher Hog Creek Hustle He was 2nd in the Pat Day Mile Behind Mr. Money And then he was winner of the grade 1 Woody Stevens The ninth place finisher War of Will Had his trouble in the Kentucky Derby And then won the Preakness And then Limonite he was the next out winner So That Louisiana Derby Has come back a very very strong And a very live race Armistice Day rounds out the field To me just looks a little bit overmatched in this group The way I have the 5th race at Churchill Downs Pegged and it's the start of your pick 5 3, 5, 6, 1 With Nolo Contesto on top of Proverb On top of Mr. Money On top of Limonite 3561 I'm actually going to play two different pick 5 tickets That I'll give you uh, the the wagers One of them I'm going to single Nolo Contesto The other one I'm going to use those four I'm going to go one with the single of Nolo Contesto to start And the other one will go 1356 Incredibly difficult race In the 6th race of Churchill It is the grade 2 wise Dan Many directions to go Not a lot to say about either the two inside horses Don't think they fit well in here The three first premio I'm going to pick second I really liked his race last out He tracked on the inside, he was third, he was three lengths off He had second inside Right before the wire And he got nailed late on the wire There were a bunch of horses, they were all battling out for the place And he got nipped But he very easily could have been second And he was chasing a run uh, A lone Speed winner that day Sam Reap who is the 6 Who was 35 to 1 I'm going to be against Sam Reap in this spot Because he was a pace factor Who had everything go his own way And I don't think that'll be the case in here It looks like Get Western has some early speed It looks like I mean I don't think Holiday Stone is going to be too far out of it We don't think Noble Commander Is going to be far out of it all at all either And then even towards the outside I wouldn't be shocked to see Bourbon Resolution Have to show a little speed to get into And secure a good spot So I just don't see this race setting up well for Sam Rip The four is Hot Springs Question marks on him His race behind Bricks and Mortar Two back was not bad And then he's another one who was just chasing lone speed So it's a race you can probably give him an excuse for And give him a chance to bounce back in here I have like Hot Springs And Holiday Stone the 4, 5, and 11 I have them all tiered together And and kind of right under my top picks in here Because they're just major question marks to me um, Holiday Stone now changing barns in A very good barn with new connections Sim Reap not huge 
on. I'm against it's in the post in here because it's in the post is is just better. I've I've had this horse in my uh, on a fantasy in fantasy horse racing leagues a couple different times, and he's in a very honest gelding. But he's better going longer. I think this is just a total prep for him to get ready. He's better at a mile and a quarter to a mile and a half. Like a mile and an eighth is even a little bit short for him. So uh, I think it's in the post. We'll just be using this to kind of set up um, and, and maybe get him into a good fitness level for his next start. Noble Commander, first time on the grass. Looks like some speed. Top selection is going to be Inspector Lindley. Got a bad ride last time out from Lescano. Not a fan of the ride So He breaks well And he has the perfect opportunity To tuck in He breaks from post 10 Plenty of opportunity To tuck in And save ground Instead he goes wide into the turn Then he gets caught up in the 2-3 path And he's in between horses It's just unnecessary If he just tucks in He's able to save ground I think it's going to be A totally different result You can't give up That kind of ground On the grass It's just not like Dirt racing You you can't go wide And still sustain Some sort of rally It just It like never Ever happens And Now we get a a Jock switch Ortiz is aboard I'm just expecting A different trip today For Inspector Lindley I I did not like that ride at all We're going to put him on top Inspector Lindley And I'll bet him and five to one, anything to win on the nine horse. The tens a wild card, El Picaro. Coming into the Correa's barn for the first time, you do get Javier to jump aboard. But this is a barn that does not do very well off of the lay off the bench. They are just one for thirteen with first timers with their trainer with foreign shippers. And they're only three for forty six the barn is off a plus one eighty day layoff. So I generally See this barn improve when their horses have a race or two under their belt off the bench. March to the arch. That May 4th race behind bricks and mortar. It's okay. He's in between horses mid pack. He gets up to within just a few lengths off. Not bad in, you know, facing top company. And I kind of have him tiered, as I mentioned, in like the second flight of horses. March to the Arch. I have admission office in the first flight. He, he was inside. He was at the back of the pack. He was in tight. He was bumped around early on, but he was traveling well, and he stayed to the inside. He split horses, and then he went back to the rail. It was a strong second behind Catholic Boy. I think he's a must-play, and a must-include in your exotics in here. Column Road, the 13, it seems like he wants a lot farther than this. I, so I just think he might be a horse, an underneath horse, Yes, he was a winner, just two back at the mile. But I, I just don't think he's can beat a very good group at this trip. I think he wants more. Bourbon Resolution is worth an inclusion first time on the grass. His lone sib won the only turf start. He hooked a tough group on the dirt last time out in the Ali Sheba. We've seen what his big races on the dirt are capable of. And now, if he can transfer that form over to the green... There are not any monsters in here. His class on the dirt should be absolutely be able to compete with with this group. So I think he's very worthy of any you know wager or anything in your exotics. If he's, I don't want him less than eight to one though because of the post. He might not get an easy trip. At least he has some tactical speed to where he could you know show some of that speed and not have to get hooked so wide early on. I have this race nine three fourteen twelve. 
And then if you want to go a little deeper, I have the 4, the 5, and the 11 after them. The Fleur de Lis, a couple nice Phillies and Marriage in here. I don't think Skeptic from the rail will be able to compete with the top few. I do on paper. The, to me, this does just look like, well, I guess I, I, I will give Go Google Yourself a shot to hit the board. I would not be surprised. She likes Churchill Downs. She's improving a little bit. She really doesn't have many poor races. If you just toss the grass race, it's hard to make to really knock what she's done as of late. She can pick up pieces. So I would not be shocked to see Go Google Yourself hit the board in here. I would be a little surprised if she won because she would have to beat three pretty quality animals in order to do so. The two, she's a Julie. Should be some inside speed. She flashed that speed last time out, but she was able to take back. She sat a close-up fourth. She was behind horses. She angles to the two-path in the stretch. Has to work a little bit to get by Secret Spice late, but she gets that grade one victory in the La Troyenne right over this track at Churchill Downs. She will have to deal with a tough foe right to her outside any late, and then she'll also have to deal with Blue Prize, who should improve second off the bench. So Elate was away slowly last we saw her in the Apple Blossom. Saves ground on the inside, angled out, but Midnight Bisu had already gotten the jump on her. Elate has been defeated both times this year by Midnight Bisu. But when she is good, she is extremely good. And I think her class and her A game is better than what She's a Julie or Blue Prize would be able to, to put forward. But I do think we're going to get the best effort that we that we can expect from Blue Prize, and that will make me have Blue Prize as my slight top selection. I'll put her over Elate just ever so slightly, so I'll have five over three in here. Blue Prize, same barn that we just mentioned in the previous race, that is not good off the bench. So whereas Blue Prize was a little bit short, making her first start from November to May, I don't think that will be the case this time. She's going to be better with this race under her belt. She was actually favored over She's a Julie. She was in between horses. She was on the heels early on. She shuffled back a little bit. Then she moved through and around. But when she loomed up, you could tell she just didn't quite have that same punch. And she flattened out. I think she has a lot more punch in here. Blue Prize, the top selection, will put the five over the three. Eighth race is the Stephen Foster, now now grade two. The way that I have this race, the the inside three, Thirst for Life was a horse who uh, made me some money on Churchill Downs undercard weekend uh, for Derby. I, I liked him in that spot, though, because I thought the mile was the perfect spot for him. I think that the mile and eighth is not necessarily what he wants. Rated R superstar, runaway ghost, I just, not a whole lot on either one of them that I love in this spot. Seeking the Soul is a very good animal. He's a grade one winner over this track. He likes Churchill Downs. He's proven at the trip, and you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to make a late rally. If somebody in here doesn't show up with a good effort, Seeking the Soul will win the race. Alka Tam is looking for his third in a row. He's stepping up. And then you have Gift Box. What do you do with Gift Box? I'm going to play against him. He has won two of his last three, three of his last four, and he looked very impressive when he won the Santa Anita Handicap in the San Antonio. But when you break those races down a little bit, he wins the San Antonio Handicap, and he beats McKinsey going a mile and a quarter. That's that's just farther than where McKinsey is best. 
So I'm not, you know, he beats McKinsey at the mile and a quarter, beating a course that that isn't quite as good going that far. Loses to Vino Rosso last time out. He was battling it out early on. I really don't have any any knocks on Gift Box. I just like a couple others in here more, and I don't want to to take a short price on him. So uh, I wouldn't. Again, if you're playing exactas, try supers and stuff like that, I'm not going to talk you off using him in your exotics, but on the win end, in the pick five, I'll take a swing against him. The way that I approach this race, I would not, you know, like I have no issues with Tenfold or King Zachary. I do think Tenfold like likes Pimlico. I thought he was primed to run a big one last time out, so I, I would not be surprised to see him regress a little bit off that effort. And then King Zachary... He's run well at Churchill, and he's a horse who should improve with the extra furlong in here. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him complete some of the bottoms of the exotics. Let's see if he can take a step forward now. He was your winner uh, of the Matt win last year. I'm going to put the nine Tom's Diatot on top. He was a runner-up behind McKinsey in the Ali Sheba. That was a fine race, but what I really like about him, he's always teased of talent. He's always had these times where he shows up with a really big effort now he's finally strung some races together this is going to be the fifth race of his since November and that was just not the case he was always a type of horse who would have a race and then a layoff maybe one or two another race and then a layoff I think we're finally going to see this horse have a little fitness have a little bit more bottom and he will be forwardly placed in here and anything around you know, four or five to one seems very fair on Tom's D Etat. Quip will be in my top four. Liked Quip a little bit last year as a three-year-old. He got a graded stakes win as a four-year-old in the Oaklawn handicap, sat off and then won a uh, determined stretch battle, and that was going a mile and an eighth, and that was in the slop for a very good conditioner. I think Quip. Should sit a nice trip in here. And uh, then to close things out with Yoshida. I think from a pure class standpoint, he should be one of the better older horses in training this year and in the second half of the season. And I think he will be running late. Little worried that he might need a start for his best, but we'll use him with 9, 4, 10, 12. The way I have the uh, the eighth race. Nine, four, ten, twelve. And in the ninth at Churchill Downs, it is the regret closing leg of that pick five sequence that'll give you a couple tickets for just a moment. The nine horse is the play to me. Fortunate girl. I don't think there's a ton of speed in here. I think the one winner sunset will sit. I think the seven Bell Laura is a little bit of tactical speed. And I think the 11, same thing can be said. Princess Carolina, little tactical speed. Fortunate girl wants firm turf. So the key for her is to make sure the turf is firm. If it's good, if it's yielding, if it's not firm, I don't think she's she's worth the win wager and I don't think she's going to run as well. But if she gets firm turf, she could be a little sneaky because she had such a poor performance last time out. I think they're going to get aggressive with her and just send her on the front end. She could be very tough to run down if she can sneak away. So we'll put Fortunate Girl on top. The one winter sunset will be the second selection. Gets away from Concrete Rose. Should save all the ground and come running. Uh, I'm going to go second off the short little break. So 9-1. 
the six hungry kitten. Blinks went on. Maybe that was the key to get her a little bit more focused. She's a stone cold closer. She comes out of a productive race, but she finally was able to, to, we, we know she has a nice turn of foot, but you're able to put it all together. And, and when I see a race like that, a lot of times I'll attribute it to the equipment change. And I think the blinkers might've been the real key for hungry kitten. The four Varenka, I, I think tough is tough to leave her out. She got beat up by newspaper of record a couple times in 2018. And then in her first start as a three-year-old, Varenka beat Maidens and did it pretty easily. She would be tough to keep out of some of the exotics. So nine, one, six, four. And then if you're looking for one more, uh, the 11 Princess Carolina, who got the win after dropping out of a couple graded stakes races. And... I mean, really no knocks on her. I just, I'm worried about the the post. She could get hooked a little bit wide with her running style. She might be in between. So I think they might have to either decide if they want to go or take back. And I don't know if she's quite quick enough to go with Fortunate Girl if they both want to show some speed. So the Churchill Downs pick five starts in that fifth race. Make sure to, uh, to play the pick five. I always... You know, want to play the races with a low takeout. I, to be honest, I don't play a lot of Churchill Downs because their takeout is so high. Um, generally, on on just the Derby week and maybe a few times throughout the year, so uh, I'll just take advantage of the lower pick five here, and we'll play pick five two different pick five ticket approaches. First one, starting in the fifth race, one, three, five, six with. 3, 9, 12, 14. So 1, 3, 5, 6. Limonite, Nola Catesto, Proverb, Mr. Money. With 3, 9, 12, 14. First Premio, Inspector Lindley, Admission Office, Bourbon Resolution. Single the 5 in the pick 5. That's blue prize. So we single the 5 in the third leg. 4, 9, 10, 12 in the Stephen Foster. So you Seeking the Soul. Tom's the Atat. Quip. And Yoshida, and then close things out with the one, four, six, nine. That's Winter Sunset, Varenka, Hungry Kitten, and Fortunate Girl. One, three, five, six with three, nine, twelve, fourteen with five with four, nine, ten, twelve with one, four, six, nine. Second approach to the pick five at Churchill. We'll single in the fifth race right off the bat with Nolo Contesto. Single the three. Then in race number six, go very deep. We're gonna go three, four, five, nine, eleven. 12, 14. So we'll use that second tier of horses that I had mentioned to Holiday Stone, Hot Springs, and March to the Arch. In the seventh race, which is the Florida Lee, we'll use two in there. We're going to go with the three and the five. So Elate and Blue Prize will double up there and use three and five. In the eighth race, four, nine, 10, 12, Seeking the Soul, Tom's the Atat, Quip. And Yoshida, and then we'll close things out with the one six nine there. Winter sunset, hungry kitten, and fortunate girl. Couple individual races to play. The sixth race, the number nine, Inspector Lindley, make a win wager on that one at five to one. And in the ninth race, the number nine, Fortunate Girl, eight to one or so, if we can get the firm turf, I think worthy of a few bucks to win. Let's close things out with some big little thoughts. 
spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you are not watching the show Big Little Lies, then you probably won't be interested in this final segment. Or maybe you haven't watched all the way through. I'm going to give you spoilers. We're going to talk about what just happened in Season 2, Episode 1. So the this is, show takes place in Monterey, California. And what we see, the start of Episode 1 of Season 2, Bonnie, the Zoe Kravitz character, who we find out that she has pushed Perry to his death. She killed somebody at the end of the last season in an attempt to save one of her friends. The women that we all see at the very beginning, the five women characters that are known as the 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 Monterey Five, Bonnie, Celeste, Renata, Madeline, and Jane, which uh, Bonnie, Zoe Kravitz, Celeste, Nicole Kidman, Renata's Laura Dern, Madeline is Reese Witherspoon, and Jane is Shailene Woodley. And we, we see how all the women are struggling with what has happened. The man, Perry, who they killed at the end of last season, was Nicole Nicole Kidman's husband. And he was a bad guy. He was a, a rapist. And he had I mean, raped Jane. He had beat Nicole Kidman's character, Celeste, repeatedly. And was just not a good person. But she's having a tough time with it. She's still having nightmares. We see the Renata, Laura Dern character. She seems like she's living it up. There's a part where she, she's got a photo shoot, a women in power photo shoot. She's in bright pink. It's my house is playing. She's singing it. She makes sure to let the teacher, her her daughter's new teacher know that her daughter has an IQ of 152. She's giving him the full court press, letting him know that she got uh, picked on last year and that she got assaulted. The... The way that everybody is tied together, all of these characters, are by their children. Their children all go to school together, and this is such a good soap opera. It's like a, the best, the most well-written and well-acted soap opera you've ever seen. Meryl Streep is now in the mix, and she is just stealing every scene. She is the mother of Perry who has been killed. So she's the mother-in-law of Celeste, the Nicole Kidman character. Meryl Streep's son... Meryl Streep is named uh, Mary Lewis. Her son has just died. And so she is staying in town, helping the grieving widow raise the kids. But she notices that something is off. She can tell that Nicole Kidman, Celeste, and that all these women are hiding something about her son's death and that it may not have been just an accident. There's an interaction that Meryl Streep character has with recent Witherspoon, which is just great. She says, I find little people to be untrustworthy. And these women that are protecting this secret, it starts to eat away at them little by little. We can see, and it's really getting to them. Flash to the character of Jane, who's now working at the aquarium. Kind of a weird, <laughs> she's talking about octopus sex. And it seems like she has a new friend, a new uh, a new possible love interest that may come into the fray someone from work who lets her know that that she is referred to as one of the monterey five like always we see the reese witherspoon character fighting with her daughter and fighting now about college and whether or not uh, her daughter wants to go to college she doesn't she wants to go work for some startup she's very um humanitarian (laughs) this is the very same daughter who wanted to auction off her virginity and I think she does a great job because the she annoys the hell out of me 
So the actress is just doing a great job. Um, Cause I'm all, every time she comes on, I'm like, Oh God, this girl, the Nicole Kidman character, Celeste has now set up a trust fund for Jane's son, Ziggy. Ziggy was the son of rape. So that was one of the reasons why the women all kind of together realized what Perry had done. Perry, not only who beat his wife, he had raped Jane and, and that was, I think one of the things that really pushed and kind of put the puzzle piece of everything together here in the, at the end of season one. Jane has mentioned that she won't cash the checks that Celeste is giving her they, ever, ever since Perry's de- death. They set up a trust for Ziggy, and she says it, it's rape money. She hasn't cashed the, the checks yet. And You know, I think it's a battle between Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman because Meryl Streep does a good job, and you're obviously always focused on her, but... Nicole Kidman is really good in this series because there's a lot of inner monologue with her. A lot of her scenes are just her by herself where she's having, you know, visions or old nightmares or she's having a memory, maybe even a good memory about her now dead husband. The dinner scene towards the end of the episode where the Celeste's two kids are kind of arguing. One of the kids stabs one of the the kid stabs the other kid with a fork and doesn't think it's a big deal. And then Mary Louise, the Meryl Streep character, she's talking to the kids when they're and they're all grieving at the table. And she screams, Meryl Streep, you know, she lets out this scream talking about how angry she is and why why her son is is dead. And it's it's scary. And it, you know, at the moment she looks and she interacts with Nicole Kidman and she says, Don't you feel angry? And she can tell the way Celeste is reacting that something is off and that Celeste isn't necessarily grieving the way that somebody who just lost a husband should be or would be grieving. The One of the last things we see in the episode is when Celeste wakes up from a, a nightmare screaming in her sleep and Mary Louise, the Meryl Streep character, comes in to console her and Celeste you know, screams when she wakes up in that nightmare about murder and Meryl Streep asks who are we planning to kill so these dreams of you know these the Monterey Five killing Perry are getting to the women one at a time in, in different ways and in the previews for the next few episodes we see that now Mary Louise is going to hang around for a while and help Celeste with the kids because she knows things are off and she is Really perceptive and picking things up one at a time. Her interact. I look forward to more interactions with Meryl Streep and Reese Witherspoon. Those are great. And if you haven't watched the show, or you know, you're just listening and and it sounds interesting or not, go check it out. I would very highly recommend it. Worth your watch. Big Little Lies. We'll do some Big Little Thoughts, and each week now. We'll post. A, I'll, I'll end up posting for some of your thoughts, what you think will happen, predictions for each of the the next episodes moving forward. So, thank you, folks, for tuning in to that's what G said. If you can, make sure to get to iTunes, stamp a little five star rating and review, subscribe on that, share the episodes around with any of your friends. If your friends like Big Little Lies, let them know that we're gonna have a little Big Little Lies recaps, and we'll be able to share some of your thoughts. If you have friends that like NBA or baseball or anytime we talk about any of the, the subjects, big 
big favor to ask if you can help share it around and help uh, tag or spread the word to any of your other friends. That's going to do it, folks. I will be talking to you again next week. Joey, take it away.